All right, Andrew, come on up. Andal Brockelman from Western, he's a Western Kansas guy, so we have important things in common. Um, working with Kristar down in Dallas with uh, essentially their mobilization effort. Loved hearing from you last night. It was mm -hmm. a great challenge yeah. to us personally. Um, I got to be in on first service. I love what you share this morning. It's really powerful. Before he does, can I just point out one thing? Mm -hmm. um, we're a little bit low on these, but in your row is probably, there's a two or three of these cards and would really like you for you to take one because we... Um, Andrew's going to talk about it, but God's mission requires the reorientation of our life of, around what he's doing. And so we ask every year for us to be thinking about four primary commitments. One of those is going, and we, last week that was the challenge, is maybe God long-term wants to tap you on the shoulder to do that in your vocational area. But he also may call you to go to Mexico on a short-term trip, and you've never done that, so that's something to pray about. We also ask you to consider welcoming God has brought the nations to Emporia, to our doorstep, and there's a lot going on there with uh, getting the gospel out to the nations that are here. Perhaps you could be part of that welcoming of them. Thanksgiving's coming up. Having a student or two in your home is a great way to make an impact on them. Um, sending. A lot of us do that already. You're giving to the missions budget. We appreciate it. There's a space on there. We ask you every year to pray and thank the Lord, what do you want me giving to the missions budget this year? A 12th, but sending us also adopting a missionary and getting their letters, praying for them, sending words of encouragement to them. And then finally, mobilizing. We've got a great team that's helping to put this together and mobilize us as a church and keep this ever before us. And they're needing people all the time. Maybe you're like, my heart is growing for this and I want to help mobilize. On the back are just some practices to, for your heart, for the nations to grow, to come into alignment with God's. And, but I challenge you to take this home, be thinking about these things, and just making a commitment for the Lord and asking Him, how is He wanting you to maybe grow or step more into what He's doing among the nations? So, all right, Andrew, Great. give it to you. Thank you. Well, like you said, my name is Andrew. I grew up in western Kansas. I live in the Dallas area now, but it's always good to be back home uh, in my home state and uh, just love. It's just been an honor to be here this weekend. So encouraged by 12th Avenue and the ways that God is at work in your midst and around the world through all the people uh, that you're working with. And it's just such an honor to do that. Uh, my wife, Abby, and daughter Lucy couldn't be here, but I'll show you a picture because why not? Uh, uh, Lucy, our daughter, will be two in January. My wife, Abby, I've been married about six years uh, now as well. And so uh, last night we talked really about um, you know, what is the task that God is doing and that he's invited us to be a part of and where are we at in completing that. And this morning, we're really just going to take a look at God's word from beginning to end, seeing how God is on a mission to reach all nations. And the Bible is not 66 separate books that are just all combined together, which is, there's differences between them, but it's really one story from beginning to end, a unified story of God blessing the nations. And so if you're taking notes, the theme that we're going to take trace this morning in viewing God's word from Genesis to Revelation is that God blesses his people. But the reason God blesses us is not just for us. God blesses us so that all nations on earth will be blessed. So God blesses us, but the reason God blesses us isn't just for us, it's for all nations. And that's what God is doing. The story of Scripture from beginning to end has this common 
theme running throughout all of it. And so for the next 20 minutes, we're just going to go from Genesis to Revelation, tracing this theme and seeing the big picture of what God is doing throughout Scripture and throughout the church and throughout the world. You guys ready for that? I don't think you're ready. Right, buckle up, you better put on some chapstick. Like, we're going to fly, okay? Let's start in the very beginning where God does. Genesis 1 and 2, God creates the earth, he creates everything good. But it doesn't take mankind very long to really mess everything up, right? Adam and Eve sin in Genesis 3. Everything is broken and changed from that point forward. And by Genesis chapter 11, mankind has been spread out throughout the entire earth, different languages, different cultures. But the problem is it's all disobedient people who aren't worshiping God. And so in Genesis 12, the story is going to change. Genesis 1 through 11 is really the introduction to the story. In Genesis 12, 1 through 3, we're going to be introduced to a man by the name of Abram or Abraham. And these next three verses, the entire story of Scripture and redemption is going to flow from these three verses. Okay? Genesis 12, 1, we're introduced to Abraham in this way. The Lord said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. Hey, Abraham, I want you to leave. Leave your friends, leave your family, leave your idolatry, leave your security behind, and I want you to go. I'm not telling you where you're going yet. I'm not telling you how long you're going to be there. But Abraham, this is what I want to do. Genesis 12, 2, God goes on to say, I will make you into a great nation. Abraham, I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. When God says, I want to bless you, we say yes to that, right? When the God who creates the universe says, Abraham, I want to bless you, you say yes. But Abraham, before you begin to think this is all just for you, the reason I'm going to do all this is, Abraham, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All the families of the earth shall be blessed. Put yourself in Abraham's shoes for a second. God has asked you to leave everything that you know, but he's given you this great promise. So what do you do? Well, in the very next verse, we see Abraham's immediate obedience, and he says, so Abram left as the Lord had told him. And this promise that flows throughout the entire story of the Bible, something that was passed on from generation to generation. And so in Genesis 15, we see God making a covenant with Abraham that affirms the promise that he gave him here in Genesis 12. Abraham finally has a son who's named Isaac. A few chapters later, we see God saying something very familiar to us at this point. Genesis 26, 4, God said to Isaac, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and I will give to your offspring all these lands, and in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Abraham said, God says something very similar to Abraham's grandson, Jacob, as well. Genesis 28, 14, God said to him, Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north, to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they were just a missionary family. That's what God had called them to be. You know, I, when I begin to think about family uh, I begin to think about my, my own family and extended family, and uh, it also makes me think of uh, my alma mater, Kansas State University. Uh, some of you think that's really strange, but just let me try to explain, all right? Uh, so at Kansas State, we're usually not very good at sports, <laughs> but we love our team. 
And so one year when I was in college, we were having this phenomenal football season unlike any other we've ever had before or since. And so some of my friends and I, we decided, yeah, let's drive 10 hours down to Texas just to watch the game. And when you're in college and it's a big time football game, there's only one appropriate thing to do, right? You paint up? Yeah, right. So we, from head to toe, we painted ourselves purple, and uh, we decided to paint a word across our bodies, right? And the word we chose? Family. Hmm. Strange choice for a football game, right? We didn't use Go Cats or ESPN, number one, or hey, mom, you know, it was family. Well, the reason, some of you know, is that the football stadium at Kansas State is called Bill Snyder Family Stadium, because the university wants to make you feel like you're more than just a student, that you're part of the family. Oh, isn't that nice? All right, so here we were. It was third quarter. I mean, we're talking prime time, national television. It's the biggest game of the century. And we're getting destroyed. With every touchdown that Baylor was scoring, my heart was just breaking in two. And I'm yelling at the refs because it's their fault, right? And then I just I had this moment where I realized that I want in the game, right? Like the cats need me, right? They're in desperate need of rest and I needed some exercise. I'm like, let's do this. The only problem was there was in a kilt covered in purple paint with a giant F on my chest, right? I couldn't get in the game. I was in the family. I couldn't get in the game, guys. All I could do was cheer. But I think it's, it's so interesting sometimes how often you know, we, we view missions that way. Is we'll sit in the stands and we'll cheer God on, but then when the opportunity comes to us to get involved, no thanks. Because I've just come to learn if, if you're a believer here in the room this morning, we are in God's family. And God is inviting every single one of us to play a part in what he's doing to reach the world. And we all have vital roles we can play. There's no, there's no sidelines. There's no bleachers. There's no cheering section. God's called us all to play a vital part in what he's doing to reach the world. And we all have vital roles that we can play. But the question is simply, will we join God? Will we join God in what he is doing to bless the nations with the gospel? As we move throughout the rest of the Old Testament, we'll see this theme repeated over and over and over again. Abraham's grandson, Jacob, has 12 kids. They're the 12 tribes of Israel. They become the nation of Israel. In Exodus, they're enslaved in Egypt, and God redeems them and rescues them out of slavery from Pharaoh. And the very first thing that happens after they get through the Red Sea and into the wilderness, they come to Mount Sinai, and God makes them his covenant people. It's not just a family anymore, it's a covenant nation of people. And this is one of the first things that God tells to them in Exodus 19. God says, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. The entire nation, all the people in Israel, were to be a kingdom of priests. What does that mean, to be a kingdom of priests? priests. Priests have a lot of different functions, but one of the main ones that priests do is that they mediate between God and other people. And Peter picks up on this idea as well, that this, the nation of Israel was to be a blessing to all the other nations. Out of all nations on earth, God chose one nation in order to bless all the other nations on earth. 
1 Peter 2, Peter picks up on this idea and calls us Christians a royal priesthood. Revelation 1.6, we are a kingdom, priests to our God. Revelation 5.10, we are a kingdom and priests to our God to mediate the blessings of God to the nations. God uses us in that purpose to the nations. And throughout the entire story of the Old Testament, we see this idea repeated over and over again. Do they always do this super well? No, but we see it in the background of a lot of Old Testament stories that we're pretty familiar with. The first one is, is David and Goliath, right? Little David, huge Goliath, awesome headshot with the slingshot, right, that brings the giant down. Uh, I always thought that this story was like about God helping us overcome the obstacles or helping us overcome the giants in my life if, if I just trust in him. And, and that's part of the story. But listen to what David says as he goes to attack Goliath. David says, This day, Goliath, the Lord will deliver you into my hand. Why? That all the earth may know that there's a God in Israel. David is doing something much bigger than slaying a giant. Goliath had defamed the name of God. And he said, No, Goliath, you can't do that because our God is worthy of the praise of all nations and all the earth is going to hear about what happens here today. We see this idea repeated over and over in the Psalms as well. Psalm 46.10, a very common verse. You could probably finish it for me. Uh, Be still and know that I am God. We love this verse, right? Um, I think we see it kind of all over the place in front of journals or your favorite coffee mug maybe. Or uh, one place I I remember seeing it was very, uh, very memorable. I was speaking up at a in Michigan at a, at a ministry house on a college campus there. And in the bathroom, there was this rock in front of the stalls that just said, be still, Psalm 4610. I was like, well, that's a pretty appropriate place to be still, right? And so I think, though, uh, another place I love seeing it all the time is, you know these, like, lake paintings? I've seen those on Instagram or maybe in your great-grandma's house or something? where there's like the sun is setting over these mountains, and there's a lake, and it's just it's calm and peaceful, and there's a village that's on the side, and it's just... <sighs> Doesn't that make us feel good? And this is a deep truth for us to know. To know that He is God, and we are not. But I think one of the most interesting things about these paintings, one thing I noticed... Uh, You see those like three dots at the end of the verse there? That means there's more to the verse, but I've never seen it on a painting. Why? Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Why is it we leave off the second half? It's not about us. Psalm 67, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Why? Why does God bless us so immensely? Verse 2, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among, there it is, all nations. God is blessing his people. Amen? God is blessing us so immensely, but the reason God blesses us isn't just for us. God's blessing us so that all nations on earth will be blessed. See, throughout the, the story of the Old Testament, the, the Israelites, 
didn't always do so great. They worshiped idols. Eventually, um, God sent them into exile because of the abominations that they, were, that they were participating in and their covenant unfaithfulness to God. It all seemed lost with these promises. But yet God was still at work, even in the exile. One of my favorite stories is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace in Daniel 3. King Nebuchadnezzar, this, this king, the king, most powerful king on earth at the time, who had brought the exiles and Israel out of, out of Israel and into Babylon, he made this decree that every person should worship this golden statue that he made. And so these three guys said, no way, we don't, we're not going to worship that golden statue. We only worship the one true God. And so as a punishment, what is the only appropriate thing to do as a king when people disobey you? Furnace right? You put them in a furnace because that's an appropriate punishment for disobeying the king. Uh, parents, don't try that on your kids, right? Like this disobey me furnace, right? Like, like it's not a good thing to do. Um, but the, God rescues these guys through the furnace, through the flames. And as they come out, King Nebuchadnezzar is so blown away by the deliverance of God. Check out what he says next. He says, this, therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or tongue that speaks anything against the God of these guys shall be torn limb from limb. Why? Because there's no other God who's able to deliver in this way. Nebuchadnezzar, this, this pagan king, just commanded all the people to worship this golden statue. He said, no, 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 don't worship that. I, you need to worship the God of those guys because there's no other God on earth like their God. You see this in the, in the prophets as well, Isaiah 49.6, a prophecy about Jesus. He says, it is, too, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and bring back the preserve of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach the end of the earth. Malachi 1.11, for from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord I think it's pretty clear just from the Old Testament alone what God's going for, what the, what the end, what the target he's aiming for is. You know, one of the things I, I love, even just think about all the, the flags we see here in the room, one of my favorite things that happens every couple years is the Olympics. Other Olympics fans out there, I love watching the Olympics, all the different events that you've never heard of, and the U.S. is generally pretty good at a lot of things, but one of the events that we're not usually very good at is rifle shooting. You know any famous rifle shooters in the Olympics? Probably not. Uh, the most famous one, the best we've ever had, was a guy by the name of Matthew Emmons. In the 2004 Olympics, Matthew Emmons was doing amazing. He was, in fact, he was so far ahead of the competition on his last shot all Matthew Emmons had to do was hit the target just anywhere, and the gold medal was his. And so Matthew Emmons does the same thing he does every time. He, he steps up to the line, he raises his rifle, he looks down the scope, takes a deep breath, whew, nails the bullseye. But then he realized that something was off because he looked at the scoreboard and saw that his name had dropped from first place all the way down to eighth. And as he looked down the lane, again, he saw that he had nailed the bullseye. One lane over. Matthew Emmons lost the gold medal because he hit the bullseye on the wrong target. But doesn't life 
have a way of pulling us one lane over. It's natural to do. It's, it's easy to do when, when our default is to care about ourselves and to not be a part of what God is doing to bless the nations with the gospel. And how many Christians set their sights on a target only to realize that at the end of their lives, it was the wrong one. But God is clear over and over again throughout the Old Testament. And even as we move into the New Testament, we'll see that nothing changes. Jesus, he comes on the scene. He uh, is born the Virgin Mary. He he, uh, ministers to people of all different backgrounds. Many of the miracles, many of the ministry that Jesus did was amongst non-Jews. It was amongst the Gentiles, the internationals of Jesus' day. Jesus didn't just talk about the nations. Jesus lived it. And at the end of his life, he died on the cross to pay for our sins, rose from the grave. And between Jesus' resurrection and the time when he ascended to go be with the Father, Jesus had one thing on his mind that he repeated over and over and over and over again to the disciples. First time is in Matthew 28, verse 19. He said to them, therefore, go and make disciples of what? All nations. Right here, this is what we typically call the Great Commission. Right, the emphasis in this, in this passage is, is on the depth. Make disciples. Don't just convert people, but make disciples who will make disciples so that it multiplies to all nations. Second time, he says this is in Mark 16. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Here the emphasis is on the breadth. Preach the good news to all peoples, to all creation. In Luke, he gave them a promise. Luke 24, he said, repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. Promise going to happen. John 20, verse 21, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you, Jesus says. Forty different times in the book of John, Jesus was referred to or he called himself or was called the sent one from the Father. And then on the 41st time, Jesus said, as the Father has sent me here into the world, now I'm sending you out into the world. And so the question for all of us as followers of Christ is not, are we sent? No, we're we're all sent ones. That's why you're reminded of that every single week here at 12th Ave. The question for us is, where am I sent? To whom am I sent? Am I sent? In the final time in Acts 1, he says, And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I love this last one in Acts 1 because literally in Acts 1.9, Jesus ascends to be with the Father. Like These are the last recorded words of Jesus. And the book of Acts flows in this progression. That in Acts 1-7, through 7, the gospel is in Jerusalem. And many are being added to their number. And then persecution breaks out with the stoning of Stephen. In Acts 8, it goes to Judea and to Samaria. And then in Acts 9, with the conversion of Paul, from then on, it's going to the ends of the earth. Five different times, though. Why do you think Jesus has to tell us five different times to go global with the gospel? Most of Jesus' recorded words between his resurrection and ascension are these passages. I know for me, I, I, I forget. Right, my default is to live for myself, 
for my own plans, my own family, my own desires, my own, my own whatever. But Jesus is reminding us over and over and over again, over 1,500 times throughout Scripture, God repeats himself. All peoples, all nations, all languages, the whole world is going to know and worship and glorify me. Or people from all over the world are going to know and worship and glorify me. And the disciples and their ministry, there was no questions asked after this. Didn't, Jesus didn't just tell them these things and like, okay, Jesus, what do you mean by that? Like, they went and did it. And none of these words are ever repeated in any of the Gospels. And even if, even if Jesus never gave these statements, the disciples still would have been a part of blessing the nations. Why? Because of Abraham. Galatians 3, Paul gives defense to the Galatians talking about how they should be living by grace and not by works of the law. And concluding the chapter in, Genesis, in Galatians 3, Paul says this. He says, And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. What, Jesus, what Paul here is saying here is this. If, if, if you would call yourself a follower of Christ, welcome to the family. Family business, missions. God began with Abraham all the way back here in Genesis and flowed throughout his family to Isaac, to Jacob, throughout the entire Old Testament, through Moses and David and the prophets and all the kings, through the New Testament with Jesus, to the apostles throughout history, to the church, to us today. God is going to finish. There will be people from every nation, from every tribe, from every language, every people group on earth worshiping our great God. And why will they be worshiping our great God? Because of the good news of the gospel and of who God is. In 1 John 2, John says this. He's talking about Jesus. He is the atoning sacrifice for us. Since this is the good news of the gospel, that we don't get what we deserve, but that by God's mercy, by his grace, Jesus took the penalty upon himself. And if we have faith and trust in Christ and his work rather than our own, that we too will be saved. But the gospel is such good news, church. The gospel is such good news. That's only the first half of the verse. He's the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. But does the world look like this today? Are there people from every nation, from every tribe, from all people groups worshiping our God? No. We talked about this a lot last night, so I'll just cover it briefly. But this, this is an area of the world known as the, the 1040 window. Uh, 10 degrees north to 40 degrees north latitude, all the way from North Africa through the Middle East and Asia. And inside this box is where about 97% of all the people in the world who are part of an unreached people group live. So unreached simply means they don't, they don't have access to the gospel. So maybe there's not a Bible that's translated into their language. Maybe there's not a church anywhere near them that they could go to. Maybe there's not a believer anywhere near them who could share the gospel with them. If all the believers in the unreached people group shared the gospel with every person they knew, 86% of people would still not know Jesus, would not have heard the gospel. That's what it means to not have access to the gospel. And that's an overwhelming 
thing to think about. 3.4 billion people in the world today without access to the gospel. And that's why we have missions conference every year. If this, if this wasn't true, then we could just celebrate and worship and, and not have to go or not have to do anything else, but to be able to, to just participate and glorify and worship God. And we think about these things, though, and realize, though, pretty quickly that there's also hope. Hope because our God is a good God. And when God makes a promise, he keeps it. So God's promise that through Abraham, all the families, all the nations on earth will be blessed, will come to fruition, either in our lifetime or in the future. We know this even for more certainty because in the book, the final book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, we see a vision of what heaven is going to look like one day. John, who wrote the book, this is what he sees in Revelation 7, 9. He says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne in front of the Lamb. And heaven is going to be amazing. Heaven is going to be multi-ethnic. There's going to be people from every nation, every language, worshiping in their own forms, in unity around Christ. And I can't wait for that day to come. But because this isn't what the world looks like today, it means that God has invited us in the 21st century today. He's in, in his patience, he's allowed us to participate in what he's doing in the fulfillment of this promise. And if this is what God is doing, though. This isn't missions and, and reaching the world and being a part of that. is isn't just like a side thing. It's not just like a, a thing that we add to our to-do list. It's it's not just for like the super spiritual elite people in the church or something like that. It's for every single believer. And if this is what God is doing, this is not just something that we add to our do, to-do list or add to our life. This is a, something we reorient our lives around what God is doing and his purposes on the earth. It affects every area of our lives. And we need wisdom to know how to do that, how to respond to that. We're going to talk about that more tonight. Let me just pray for us, and then uh, we'll be done this morning. Father, we thank you that, that you are a good God, that somehow it's just amazing to think about all the ways that you have worked throughout the centuries to take the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ from the last 2,000 years from Jerusalem all the way here to Emporia, Kansas, and beyond. And God, I pray for every single one of us in here this morning that we would just respond to whatever it is that you're doing in our lives and to, to live in a way that's honoring to you and to participate in the joy of what you are doing to reach the world, to be a part of what your purposes and plans are, and that we would align our lives with what you are doing in the world. God, we love you. We thank you for that. We pray all these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we honor Andrew and let him know? Thank you. Great job. Um, come back tonight. We're going to finish up tonight. You want to hear the rest of what he says. Um, we have a supper tonight. Even if you didn't sign up, please come tonight. You can have my plate. I will let you have, uh, or my five plates that I normally have, on because it's going to be good food. But don't let that hold you back. Please be here. Join us at 530.
and we have a children's program, so bring the whole family. We would really love to have you here. Um, before you leave today, there's a resource table up here. Come check that out. Visit some of the tables, the tables of the missionaries. Talk to them, get to know them. That's part of what I love about this is a chance to, to meet them face-to-face, -face, ask questions. Um, and then a re final reminder, there is a booklet for that has all our missionaries in it for prayer. You can pray for them and know who they are. It's in the lobby on the left is where those are kept at. So, okay, can I pray for us? And then I want to send us. Father, thank you for your mission to the nations because I am a recipient of that. I came to know you because your heart was to reach to all people groups, including people in the West like us who were not a part of Israel. And we are eternally grateful for that, and we want to pass that blessing on. We don't just want to, to keep that to ourselves, but we want others to receive that. So help us to become an even greater church in this realignment of our lives with you. And, Lord, we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, and before I send you real quick, um, I do, you are going to be sent 12 to come back tonight. I know there's a Chiefs game at 325, okay? They're playing the Broncos. It'll be a slaughter by halftime, so be here anyways. If it's close at halftime, that means the Broncos are going to win, and you don't want to see that, right? After, what, 17 in a row or 16? So just be here tonight. Um, this is, I love sports, but this, God's mission is more important than that, so it's worth uh, being here. So 12th, you are sent to come back tonight for a final sending then. So we'll see you tonight.